you know, I, I turn I turn salty very soon. I turn seasoned very quickly on that deployment. Um, I was never scared or nervous going into it. A lot of times I was definitely scared in the thick of it. Uh, a lot of close calls, a lot of just crazy things that you really can't even make up. And if, you know, even when I tell them today, they just seem unreal. Uh, from We Defy the Norm, I was able to create my, my online coaching mentor, mentor group called the Fire Tribe. I'm able to launch my Patreon where I can help people even more personally. You know, all these different outlets and host retreats and just things that I've always wanted to do. But at the time, I, I had to remind myself like, yo, for the next four years, you're this rank to this rank, dude. Like, you're going to have to suffer a lot. And, you know, honestly, I've suffered a lot. And I'm grateful for every ounce of it because it has made me a stronger, better man. Welcome to Kick Cage. Cody, thank you very much for coming on the show. And welcome to the cage. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. How you been? Uh, really good really good thank you very much for coming on it, it really means a lot to me uh following your instagram um you're a very motivational inspiring person so i think you'll fit in very well with what i'm trying to get across with the message of the show um so starting off thinking about people having uh aspirations having a drive having a goal for something and the best way to achieve that goal is to uh have a vision and at nine years old, you had a vision. In fact, you had a vision board on your wall of what you wanted to be. Could you tell us a bit about that story? Yeah, that was. So I had this like cork board in my room uh, right next to my bed. And um, I had I just started to like draw like sticky notes and put them on this board for no particular reason. It was like doodles from school. Um, I, I'd always spend the weekends, uh, I try to go to the, uh, what do you call it? Army surplus stores. Those are really big back in the day. I used to always try to like go to those and like, look at all the cool things that I could touch and acquire. And I would like pin a couple like ring for patches to my wall. Um, my mom knew that I really wanted this like classic you know, canary yellow pickup truck and, she was uh, out with my dad one day and like snapped a picture in a, in a, by the mall. It was like a, it was an old classic yellow truck, which by the way, was the very first truck I ever owned. Uh, it was a classic, I got it painted canary yellow and uh, it was my favorite color. And so I just started to like acquire these things on this board and the board wasn't too in depth, but it was, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time really what I, what I was doing. I had no intention behind it other than, Hey, I like this. This is cool. Hey, this thing means something to me. I'll, I'll plug it here. And it turns out it was classic vehicles uh, and the and rink war stuff. That was like scout snipers specifically, uh, yeah. but that was it, man. And uh, that kind of like set the way for everything else in my life. I just didn't know at the time what I was really doing and the power of seeing things that I actually want to obtain whether it was a, a mentally or a physical type of item, uh, I didn't really see the power of it until it actually started to come about. And even when things like that started to come to fruition in my life, I don't think I even realized what was truly <laughs> happening. It was just like, oh, I got a classic truck for my very first truck, you know, my 16 through 18 years old before I go to the service. And I'm like, oh, it's canary yellow, just like this. And it was just like one of those like, well, why wouldn't it be yellow? <laughs> Why wouldn't the first truck I have be a classic truck? You know, why? that's what I want. And I don't think, I was very creative 
at a young age. And so I don't think I had the knowledge or the perspective to see anything other than why wouldn't I want this? You know, yeah. uh, where nowadays it's just like, I don't know what I want. You know, we, <laughs> we live, oh, I want more, but I don't, I don't know what it is. You know, I want a car, but I don't know what it is. I want a job, but I don't know what kind. It's just, I, I didn't have that issue growing up as a kid. I knew exactly what I wanted. And I think that was a big contributor to my success. Um, if you call it success, you know, my, my career path and kind of the opportunities that I've got to experience was I knew what I wanted to do and nothing was going to sway me from that. Do you think that that, that kind of motivation and that drive helped you when you got to Camp Pendleton and you were going through that training? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> because I knew what I wanted to become was not going to be easy. So everything leading up to that point, even like Marine Corps boot camp, I was excited the whole time because it was a step along the process. You know, it was a part of the journey. So I didn't look at boot camp as a separate thing. I looked at boot camp as just something I got to get through. I looked at the next school as like something I just got to get through. It wasn't like these, these pinnacle life altering things for me. It was just part of the journey I, I didn't have all the information, but I knew that there was these steps that I had to, to do to achieve what I wanted to achieve. So it was just part of the process. And I think viewing it that way as part of the process, not as like the apex, and then the next opportunity is another apex. I think that really helped me out too, because a lot of those, a lot of those things sucked. You know, a lot of those things were, you know, 18 year old, I don't care who you are, man, Eight, being 18 years old and having your head shaved and being yelled at 24 seven and you know, living in a, you know, penal system kind of way, like it's, it's not, that's not normal. You know, that's just a new, crazy, intense experience. First time I was ever away from home, but it, it was exciting because I was on, it was like being on a boat, you know, there's going to be waves, you know, you're gonna have some probably crappy food, but you know, you're going from this Island to the next Island and that next Island's your destination. But along the way, it's just part of the process. So viewing it like that really propelled me with my mindset to achieve the things that I did. That, that's a fantastic way of looking at it. I really appreciate that. Um, while you were going through this uh, learning process, even though you were just looking at it as a journey from one point in your life to another point in your life, uh, was there anything you actually uh, retrospectively learned during that occasion? Like what does good leadership look like and what does bad leadership look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely, you know, I had my sights set on like the things that I wanted to to accomplish or achieve. But along the way, I mean, man, uh, there was a lot of trial and error on my own part. There was a lot of failures and successes on my part, but there was a lot of observa observation that took place, you know, from boot camp to my next school, to the next courses, to my next unit, all these types of things. Uh, and those played a drastic role in it because, you know, and you know this too, once you taste the food, once you see how the food is made, you're not really a big fan of the food anymore, you know, and leadership is a big behind the scenes kitchen. You know, what you see, the del the delivery of the product is like, oh, this looks good. This looks squared away. This is look this looks right. But when you see the making of a leader in the kitchen, it's it's a hot mess. You know, there's there's years of bad experiences. There's years of good experiences. and um, and examples. And I, and I'm very fortunate to, to be open to all that. I'm a type of guy where 
I don't really like being told what to do. And I definitely don't like, I'm not a follower. I don't, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a, I, I guess I am. I'm a pretty competitive dude. I don't like to just be submissive and like, yeah, let's just go with the flow. I'll just follow whatever you say. Like, nah, that's just not me uh, because I like to control my own car. So doing that, I was looking at all these leaders that were in front of me that were my leaders or at the time peers and like what I like about them, what I don't like about them. Now, what I like and what I don't like might not be the best thing or the thing that's going to serve me five years, you know, down the road. But at that time with whatever neat naive mindset I have or limited mindset that I have, you know, for that phase of life, you know, I was able to kind of pick and pull and, and, and form what type of leader I wanted to be based on the leaders I was surrounded by. And, you know, everyone's a leader when the spotlight's on them, but it's, you know, I really learned very early on in the military, like, soon as the spotlight goes away, there these people are like, it's not all of them, but the, the turd color comes out, you know, like their true colors show. And yeah. I saw how that affected other people, you know, and there's nothing wrong with being a follower. And society has really made that term follower kind of toxic and negative. Uh, but there's nothing wrong being part of a team and supporting an, a, a bigger mission, a bigger, a bigger job. Uh, but one thing I learned about some of these followers is that they were really hoping that the leader in charge would do the right thing. And they were constantly looking for that motivation. Not like these people were weak. They just like, Hey man, I'm, I'm just here. To, I'm just here to work, bro. I kind of don't want to get screwed over and I want people to have my best interest, you know? So seeing these guys get let down time and time again, at times, it was very apparent that, you know, being a leader or being someone that raises their hands, that has a lot of implications and ripple effects. And I took that in as much as I possibly could because people are always watching you. And, you know, like there could be, you know, a hundred people, but there's not a hundred followers. I mean, there's not a hundred leaders. There's, there's 99 and there's one leader. And that one leader has to make decisions that, you know, have the best interests of those 99 other people, including that person's self, right? Like it's the whole, it's the sum of all things. And that was a, uh, that was probably one of the biggest lessons I learned growing up in the military and, you know, leadership aspects is seeing how you as a leader, it's not just about you. It's not about what you say. It's about what you do when no one's there. It's about what you say when no one's there. It's about how you perform when you're not being asked to perform that those really had ripple effects on the people that you work with. And I always wanted to not be that person, but granted, just so we're clear, I made a lot of leadership mistakes, especially in boot camp. I made a lot of leadership mistakes. I did when I started to become a leader, um, especially in boot camp, you know, I raised my hand. They're like, who wants to be a squad leader? I'm like, I raised my hand. What, why wouldn't I want to like, you can't say you want to do something, but not raise your hand. And, and their fear keeps you from doing that. Stepping up keeps you from doing that. Well, I'm like, bro, I'm here for this. So I'm going to raise my hand. And I remember uh, there was times where I acted how I thought my leaders wanted me to act by acting how I knew and felt I should act. And those are some really tough lessons back in the day because I was just a nobody, but my intuition, my, my gut feeling, my just overall assessment of the situation, I went against that to appease what I thought my drill instructors wanted to see or some other leaders wanted to see um, because everyone has their own perception of what a leader is and how they should perform. 
But one thing I really learned was discernment in the military, especially early on, that some of these people that we look up to as leaders are actually quite crappy people. And their perception of being squared away, their perception of being a good leader because of their rank or their uniform or fear, you know, the fear they, they cast on the other people, that is misconstrued as good leadership at times, at least I personally feel. And therefore, there's a lot of mixed signals that I could put off and being a young sponge trying to like make the right decision and not be that guy who doesn't make any decisions. At times, I, I made poor ones. And, you know, uh, the Marines or the recruits and the Marines I was with at the time, they suffered. And so did I. I learned <laughs> I learned the hard way and they learned too. They're like, dude, Cody's dick, you know, like, <laughs> that, like that's jacked up. And those, those are feelings that I still remember today that I, I try to remind myself um, to, to stay the course and not, not resort back to like being a leader that I, that people expect me to be. I'm going to be the leader that I know I need to be uh, not to appease anyone else. Because when you do that, you're, you're not a leader. You're a pawn at that point. And I was definitely a pawn at a younger age. Um because you were very young at, at that age going through that training. And uh, if, if I've got the term right, uh, pig, is, is that correct as you were going through? Is that? Yeah. So pig, uh, when I was joining the scout sniper community, uh, my sniper platoon pig is a professionally instructed gunman, professionally instructed gunman. That's basically like you're a member of the sniper platoon. You're not a school trained sniper. You might shoot the sniper rifle, but you're like a dude on the platoon, a dude on the team where a school trained sniper is called a hog, a hunter of gunmen. And uh, it's definitely an alpha and uh, alpha and beta type of uh, vibe there. Yeah. The hog is ultimate. The pig is the swine, the bottom feeder. Uh, you're the mentee and the hog is the mentor. And yeah, fun times. Um that the sniper himself couldn't have done his job without the support of the team. And, and that's something that I think you you touched on in, in uh, what you were just talking about, how you were coming together as a team and, and working that way. Um, now, obviously, you, you were about to be deployed to uh, Iraq. Afghanistan at this stage was very, very early. Uh, I believe it was uh, 2006, was it? No, my first deployment was Iraq. Yeah, that was 2004. Uh, 2004 2004 I was a couple of years yeah. off um so obviously at that time afghan was still in its very early stages and things were still going off in iraq and obviously there was a lot of unsettlement thanks to uh pmc company blackwater that obviously stirred the pot for a little bit in fallujah and that was i believe your first deployment heading over there what was obviously People in history know what happened in Fallujah, but from your perspective, uh, going out there as a, a young pig full of spunk, you know, ready to take on the role and do your job, how it changed you um, to the point where you were going home and how, you you know, you, you probably lost a good part of your soul while you were out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a lot of hate. Uh for the Iraqis, you know, I, I had a lot of, I wanted to, you know, it's, you said it perfectly. You, you're, you're eager to do your job. Well, yeah. they're not, you're trained to kill. You're trained to perform a task at hand. And, you know, 
at that young age, I'm like, these are the enemy, you know, they're bad because I saw a motivational video because I was told so, because I, I told, you know, there was obviously very bad people there, right? Very bad people. And going there, you know, at those back in those early stages, at least for us, I, I didn't start off in the special operations community. So we, our interaction with the local population wasn't really there. We weren't, you know, living with the, this in the, in the towns, the villages. So it was definitely us against them type of vibe and going out on these missions and, and, and doing the invasion of Fallujah. You know, you, you literally just have an adversary. They're not even people. And at least that was the mindset. I'm an 18 year old kid. Like, what do you, what do you expect? You gave me guns, you gave me ammo, you gave me armor and you said, go out and do good things. Like that's really all you get. So what else am I supposed to think? Um, you know, how did it affect me? You know, I, I turned, I turned salty very soon. I turned seasoned very quickly on that deployment. Um, I was never scared or nervous going into it. A lot of times I was definitely scared in the thick of it. Uh, a lot of close calls, a lot of just crazy things that you really can't even make up. And if, you know, even when I tell them today, they just seem unreal. Um, but there are all things that I'm grateful for because I was there. I can't take that time back. But if I was to still have hate for Iraqis or have hate for people or have hate for, you know, being dark like that, then I definitely did not learn my lesson. And all that was for nothing. You know, all that term turmoil and all this death and carnage was for nothing. And that was probably the biggest lesson to take away from a deployment like that was being able to look back. I mean, it's almost 20 years later. And just being grateful to, to one, personally evolve, survive, and then to reflect back and obtain that wisdom that just violence has a way of showing you, you know, you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about, uh, you know, who do you want to become? Because you, your life is in milliseconds out there, you know, it's, it's, it's smaller than seconds. and you cannot have a same toxic attitude and negative attitude and survive something like that. You might survive the battlefield, but then you come home and you, uh, you're, 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 you're missing a lot of parts of you, a lot of aspects of you. And to me, that's where the real war began. You know, the skirmish was overseas. The real war was back at home when you're trying to make normalities out of this day-to-day -day life. You know, you literally jeopardize your whole life for six months, you know, your whole life, you know, time frame for like six months. I think that point was like seven months and, um, you know, over half a year, then you come back to first world country where everything is just perfect, but yet none of it makes sense. Um, and you're trying to, at least me, I'm trying to uh, conceptualize what I just experienced and really what toll it had on me. And, it clearly took me a lot of years uh, to almost two decades to really process what type of uh, hold that had on my, my own being and my mind and my, my spirit, all these types of things. And, um, but I'm forever grateful because with that being said, I'm now able to, excuse me, help so many people out with different perspectives that they weren't afforded. And I'm not saying war gives you the upper hand, War just forces your 
decision making a little bit more. You know, it doesn't. There's really no room for comfort there. There's no room to feel sorry for yourself. There's no room to uh, really occupy your mind with anything else other than the job. And I think that's why a lot of guys like war. Uh, especially deployments, because you literally just get to focus on one task at hand. And that's freaking awesome. It's life is so simple on deployments. Just eat, gym, mission prep and execute. That's it. I mean, no responsibilities other than obviously things related to being on a team or doing missions. But it's just so easy. Back at home, you have bills, family, oil changes in your vehicle, grocery shopping, uh, meetings you have stupid things to attend and deal with you have uh crazy traffic you know you have all these different things that uh kind of make it make it way more uh i guess challenging and overwhelming than you have to on deployment and that's why i really like deployments i guess because it kind of made it just all your attention focused on one thing and when you can do that you can do a lot of things i mean you know the deal man you yeah. you apply your mind to one thing and you can absolutely create just next level stuff. You can do next level things. Uh, back at home, your mind's on 20 things. You're not doing any, you're not creating anything. You're creating noise and a lot of distractions and a lot of letdown. Uh, I think that's why a lot of guys suffer back at home because they're like, why am I not good? Well, well, dude, you're you're doing 20 fucking things at once. What did you expect? But they're like, but I, but I climbed a mountain and threw a grenade and I skydived and I did all these crazy things. Like, yeah, you did one job. You might have done multiple uh, specialty skills, but you did one job. It was all aligned to one desired end state. Yeah. Being a civilian, it's there's a thousand end states because you, if you're anyone's like me, they they have big goals and dreams. They want to do this, this and that, and uh, it's overwhelming. And I have to remind myself, go back in the time extract that wisdom and apply it to my present day. And that's like, yo, dude, focus on one thing at a time. And that is my biggest challenge and struggle in, in, in modern day life is that one thing at a time. Do you still struggle with that one thing at a time? Absolutely. I think I've, I feel, you know, when I got out of the military back in 2018, I felt like, well, one, I had a victim mindset. Um, I was very hurt, very broken, very lost. Yeah. And, uh, but I felt like I was not cheated because I asked for it all, right? I, I signed up, I enlisted, I wasn't drafted, none of that stuff. I wasn't forced to go, but I felt like I lost so much valuable terrain in regards to accomplishing things as a civilian. You know, I look at a lot of people, I'm like, damn, they're super successful. Oh, they were doing real estate for 15 years. Well, I was in the military for 15 plus years. Shit, none of that attributed to any of like my financial success or, or personal development or growth outside of the military. And, uh, but then I have to remember that in the military, for instance, if I am about to pick up the next rank or I'm, I'm one rank and I'm looking forward to picking up the next rank, there might be a five-year gap before I'm even eligible to be looked at yeah. for that promotion. So all I do for that next five years is just crush being the best, whatever rank I can be, you know, and doing whatever job I am and really just tied to being a, a good leader, you know, a good subordinate when you need to. And maybe you're, you're not in a leadership position, but just maximizing that one thing. Hey, I'm an E5, I'm an E6, I'm whatever this rank is. I'm just going to go all in on that for the next five years. And as a civilian, I feel like, you know, I'm 37 years old now. And, and I'm actually glad you brought that up because it just lit up for me. 
Uh, so thank you. Sometimes I try to rush time as a civilian. I definitely try to rush things being a civilian to play catch up. And when I look back, I'm like, well, dude, how many things have you actually done, been able to accomplish, truly, not start, but accomplish? Um, and I've started a lot of things, but I haven't accomplished as much as I know I'm I can because I, I'm trying to do all the things at once because I feel like I don't have the time. But the thing is, I have all the time in the world. If I, if I was to relive... I took my 15 years of military experience. And I said, okay, I'm 37, add 15 years to this. That's a long time, you know? And, and if I'm blessed enough, I'm going to make 15 years. I'm going to live 15 years, you know, extra and then plus more from that. But how many things can I get accomplished if I just, okay, hey, we're doing this for the next four years, bro. <laughs> we're going to do this <laughs> for the next, until the job's done. We're going to do this, this to the next task. And I know I definitely have to apply that in my own life. And uh, luckily, I've been able to hire people in my life and bring bring experts and professionals into my life to help me with that, uh, because that's another thing that I forgot. In the in the military, you can accomplish all crazy things. You have a team. Yeah. You know, cleaning cleaning a team room is easy when you have seven people. Cleaning a team room by yourself, shit, that could take a couple of days. You know, and I'm just like, man, I got all this shit done in the military. Why is it taking me forever now? I'm like, bro, you're you're doing it by yourself, man. Like you were never superhero, you're never superhuman. You just had a team of superhumans to help out. You know, you you singularly are not just perfect. You know, you you had a team of like perfectionists that made things happen, and I have to remind myself that continuously. So I think that's where a lot of guys get hung up too, especially being a civilian is looking for that type of team vibe where you're like, man, you have the same objectives that I do. Sick, let's team up and go crush stuff. But you know, in the civilian life is completely different because you might, we might have same goal types, right? Associated goals, but the war inside here is all different, you know, because, you know, people might have civilian clothes on, hang up their uniform, but they're going through all sorts of hell and different realities right here. And I think that's what keeps a lot of people trapped. And for, for almost four years, it kept me trapped a lot too. So I get it. Um, obviously you uh, set up, we define the norm. Now, at what stage in your, I don't know, well, let's call it recovery uh, from your time in the military to, to where you are now. Uh, at what stage did you decide, right, I'm going to, you know, make this a brand. I'm going to have a like a veteran startup and, you know, start putting a message out there to try and help people. Uh, it happened fairly. So it started back in September 20. No, when I started Back in 2018 is when I started. So it was a couple months after I got out. So I was already, so I was very fortunate. So I, I was able to do an internship for my last six months of the service. So I was living a civilian life my last six months of the military. I didn't go to base. I only came to base for like medical appointments and like to do my dives. Um, but I got to move away, do a bunch of stuff and hang around. I had a civilian job, an internship and uh, so I kind of got this new feeling of like what it could be like or what it's going to be like to be a civilian. And that really, you know, sparked this like message that I wanted to share this new, hey, I'm going to share my journey type of stuff. And, you know, shortly after that, so probably, yeah, a couple months after retiring fully in, in September 2018, a couple months after that, that's when I started. I'm like, hey, I want to start this brand. But at the time, 
I was sharing a message, but I started the business just to buy camera equipment. That was it. <laughs> I, I love photography. I love shooting video. I, I'm, I'm a creative person. I'm an artist by trade. And um, <laughs> when my wife asked me, she's like, hey, if you have like, you know, four weeks left to live or whatever, like, what do you want to do? I said, hey, I want to travel around, take pictures. Well, I wanted this camera. I wanted this lens. And so I'm like, you know what? I'll go create designs that are based around things that I feel and, you know, that match with my story and like this message that I'm sharing. And I'll use that money to buy camera lenses. And that's exactly what I did, man. So like the first two years, I was just buying like drones, camera bodies, camera lenses, batteries, like microphones, all these things to help me find a creative outlet and through finding that creative outlet, I was able to create more content to help share this message. And, you know, I, I wouldn't know the impact it would have at the time, but it was very healing and therapeutic for me to, uh, to voice my feelings, to voice my opinions and my concerns and my thoughts. And, you know, and, and the best part about it, no one could tell me anything, you know, like <laughs> no one could tell me you can't do that. There's a, there's a military policy. You can't post. I'm like, shut up, dude. I'm not in the military anymore. I can do whatever I want to, you know, like, and that alone was freeing. So navigating this new freedom and then this, this message that I could share my own word and no one's telling me that I can't say these things. It was, it was pretty freaking awesome. And guess what? It's still pretty awesome, dude. You know, that's, that's, I'm alive, bro. I get to share, I get to share what's on my heart and on my mind. And I don't have to worry about being in a toxic environment. that's going to tell me, Hey, you can't, you can't do that. Like, watch me, dude, watch me. So that was a big part of my healing journey was starting We Defy the Norm, you know, sharing and showing people. Most importantly, it's easy to tell people, but showing people like, yo, dog, you know, I'm going through something rough. I don't know who I am, what my purpose is, what my mission is in life. You know, I'm completely unfulfilled. I'm lost. I'm, I'm victim mindset, all these things. And to be able to show people this whole process of me transforming my life by just walking continuously into the unknown, doing all these crazy things that like people are like, oh, that's taboo. Or I, I can never sell my stuff. I'm like, not with that attitude, bro. <laughs> like, how bad do you want it, man? How bad do you want to change your life? And I really wanted to change my life really bad. So um, I'm grateful that I had such a strong or have such a strong, powerful wife uh, who was supportive and just let me just take that level of investment onto myself and because it has truly transformed who I am today. Did you think at the time when you were doing this uh, that it would be so well received by people? Um, but you, you know, you'd have such a following on social media as you do now. No, <laughs> dude, according to the YouTube comments, when I first started YouTube back in the day, no, no, I, man, there was so much crap talked on me and, uh, just a lot of hate cast my way. And I was a super sensitive guy when I got out. I'm just like, why don't these people like me? I'm just being honest. You know, I'm just sharing my heart and they're just, just stabbing me, you know? And, uh, but I've always known that I have an influential personality. Uh, and I've always had to be smart with that. Cause you know, I want to use it for good, but I know I'm also capable of using it for bad. And I definitely never wanted to lead anyone astray of things that I was saying or actions that I was partaking in. Um, and I realized a long time ago, all I can do is just be real, you know, like not everyone's going to like that shit and that's okay. 
Uh, but sticking true to myself and my guns, I mean, dude, it's, it's worked out, you know, yeah, I've, I've built a pretty large social media following now. And I have, you know, multiple opportunities where I'm able to, to work alongside people and help people out and have them be part of my lives and vice versa. And I'm, I'm grateful for all those things. And I just, I didn't have that vision back in the day. I knew one day, one of this one big thing, you know, what, how we define the norm is going to just create this big vortex and it, it's turning right into that, you know, from we defy the norm, I was able to create my, my online coaching mentor, mentor group called the Fi tribe. I'm able to launch my Patreon where I can help people even more personally, you know, all these different outlets and host retreats and just things that I've always wanted to do. But at the time I, I had to remind myself like, yo, for the next four <laughs> years, you're this rank to this rank, dude. Like you're going to have to suffer a lot. And you know, honestly, I've suffered a lot and I'm grateful for every ounce of it because it has made me a stronger, better man, uh, better leader. Uh, now, you know, husband and father, all these types of things. And there were so many times that it, I wanted it to fast forward past that part. Why can I just be successful? Why can I just get this breakthrough? But I was never ready for those things, man. It's like I tell people, dude, if I was to give you a million dollars right now, you used to be miserable as shit. You know, if I was to... If I was to make your life perfect, you would still be miserable because you are not happy with yourself. You know, we like to cast the blame on the environment, but it's just us against us. And it's taken me about like four and a half years to shift that mindset from how did I do all these crazy things in the military, whether it's like combat or schools or trying out for things, raising my hand, how can I do all those things? And then now I'm just like, Oh, I can't get out of bed, you know, but that's the power of having a big why. That's the power of having very clear image of what you want to accomplish, even if that's your for your next five years, you know, and it's taken me a lot of time to remember that because one traumatic brain injury, you forget a lot of things. And up until recently, you know, probably the last year and a half, I've had a lot more memories come back to me. Uh, by doing uh, holistic practices, going to the chiropractor and a lot of body massages, you know, loosening because we store trauma in our body. And I remember going to my my chiropractor out here. His name's Cameron. He's actually a Marine also. Uh, him and his wife run this uh, inter, Intermountain uh, Chiropractic Service called Donset Chiropractic. And they have about like six more years of training than an actual chiropractic service. And he's like tweaking on me. And I'm sitting on the deck, my, my balcony one day with my wife and we're chatting. I just started crying out of nowhere. And she's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh my God, I just remember like six more years of my life that I'd never wow. even could remember. And, you know, that's when it started making me even more a believer, you know, like everything I've been doing has been leading me up to where I'm at today. And my actions today are not final by any means. They're, they're just completely light years ahead of where they were you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. So all these small things I've been doing have all been compounding on one another and helping me grow. And I've had to remind myself like, Hey, I know you want the world today, but like, let's, let's, let's make this base safe and secure. And then we'll go on the patrol. You know, let's do all these, let's make all these steps. Advice. I'm like, I want it all now. And uh, when I want all of it now, I don't really have a clear vision of what all of it is. Therefore, you know, looking back in my life as a civilian, I'm like, aha, there's there's the holdup. I want it all. I want happiness, but I don't know what happiness is. You know, yeah. I think happiness is something external, vice completely internal. And even the internal happiness, 
I don't even know what that is. So I've had to experience these different things to be like, oh, that feels, this kind of makes me happy. Let me go down this path. Nope, nope, it doesn't. <laughs> Let me go this one. This actually makes me happy and, and do more of that and compound that interest. So it's been a definitely an interesting journey. And I think a lot of people have enjoyed it along the way. And it's overwhelming at times to, to, to know that people are so moved by some of the things that I share and, and, and say. And because I'll be real, dude, I'm like, I don't think I say anything crazy. But to someone else, it's like this like light bulb of like yeah. consciousness that creates for them. And they're like, boom, my life has changed. I'm like, well, fuck, I'm still suffering. So good on you. You know, that's I'm happy for you. And, and you know, so it's really helping. Me. It's part of me seeing the same things. I'm like, okay, dude, you look where you came from last year. You're not the same guy. So let's not worry about the world. Let's just worry about where we're at today. And uh, in my own personal life, currently in real world time, you know, that's one of my main things that I, I'm practicing and working on right now is just this, this more presence being present and being grateful for where I'm at today, not what's coming up tomorrow, but where I'm at today, the things that I have in my life, the things I get to experience in my life. I'm alive. I get to drive a, a beautiful classic truck to my beautiful home that we just purchased. Why my other home is having a construction job happening, you know, for a rental, our first rental property, like all these amazing things in my life were even maybe a year ago, I'm just like, oh man, I want the world and I don't have the world. And I'm just like, oh, you might not be depressed, but you're, 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 you're being a victim again. I'm just giving away my power again. And so it's reminding myself to pause, pump the brakes and bring myself back to this, this most grateful state that I could possibly be in. And that's this very now moment. And, uh, that's been my biggest challenge so far in life. And that's where all my energy is for, focused on in this season of life right now. It's just being present and being grateful for everything today. Because your question, did I think I'd have this big of an impact? I think I always knew I was different as a kid. I think I always knew I was going to have a big impact. Uh, I just never knew what it would be like because for so many years, I never saw myself as someone who made the impact. It's like I forgot. Uh, but that just came from trauma and pain and uh, uh, just being ungrateful, truthfully, uh, with my own self and my own uh, accomplishments in life. Not accomplishments and accolades, but accomplishments and like, bro, we didn't kill ourselves. We're not a statistic. We Look at all the things that we are doing. Look at the amount of people you are impacting. Like you're helping people. You might be suffering, but that's okay. I'm here to suffer. You know, I'm, I'm here. Part of my life is to suffer. Part of my job in life is to suffer. Because if I don't suffer, how can I help anyone else? I will never grow. I will never evolve if I don't suffer. So my whole purpose of life now is to suffer with intention. Uh, where previously I was suffering with no purpose, no intention. And that was that was called hell. Now I'm on this like gratitude, uh, gratitude uh, journey where every ounce of suffering that I do, it's I'm grateful for it. Because only making me stronger. And the stronger I get, the more wiser I'm able to to become for myself. Yeah. I'm able to share that with my loved ones and my, and my family and my tribe and the people that I associate with. And that's how we all grow together. Uh, so that whole perspective shift has been really, really huge and massive for me and the people that I associate myself with. Uh, just to unpack a few things from that little segment there then, uh, if I could just circle back onto, uh, you mentioned TBI. Uh, how do you feel that that has come out recently in the U S um, 
has it become less of a taboo subject um, with veterans and also with service personnel, if you know? Yeah, uh, according to my friends that are still in my old unit, MARSOC, Marine Special Operations Command, I mean, they're definitely taking the whole traumatic brain injury very seriously. I mean, I think where a lot of people are understanding now that they weren't understanding before is you don't have to be shot in the helmet like I was. You don't have to be blown up. You just need to throw a flashbang. You just need to be slammed really loud, you know, have a loud explosion go off near you. And these small things, they add up. You know, a whiplash can cause a traumatic brain injury. You know, all these things. And I think sometimes, especially in the military, we think that, oh, since I'm not missing any limbs, I have nothing wrong with me. But, you know, that's not necessarily true. Just (laughs) you get traumatic brain injury from violent abuse to the body violent trauma to the body, whether that's one event or a hundred events that are small, small micro violence, they all add up. It's not the, the, the piece of straw that broke the camel's back. It's the entirety of all those pieces of straw put on the camel's back that broke the camel's back. And uh, I think people are now starting to catch wind of all that type of stuff. And, but with it being so mainstream now, it's also another way, and you know the deal, it's another way for people to shotgun it. and. Uh, They'd be like, oh, yeah, it's just TBI. Like, they write it off now. Like, no, you need to address this. And it's become so mainstream, they expect our guys and gals to have traumatic brain injuries. Now they're just getting the, the, the shotgunning, checking the box, like, hey, I'm good to go. Yep, you got a TBI. Well, what are you, what are you doing about it? You know, what are you, are you, what kind of therapy am I going to go to? Um, so not being active duty for some years now, I don't know exactly what they're doing, but definitely when I was getting out, it was still a very taboo thing. If if people really knew the various effects of TBI and how it's not just your memory, how it's not just uh, your attention, how it's all these crazy different things. And, and what's really sad is how it affects your family. Uh, the true victim of a traumatic brain injury is the family member, uh, the loved ones, the, the, the close circle, because they usually get the crap end of the stick. Uh, they usually get the most verbal and violent abuse uh, from the pain and trauma associated with traumatic brain injury because the recipient of TBIs, they're really good at denial. They're really good at saying, no, I'm good to go. You know, put me in, coach. I want to play. And uh, I don't think you're ever going to break that stigma. I don't even call it a warrior spirit. I just call it fucking naiveness, you know, because the modern day warrior is actually quite weak to me. Uh, very single-minded, very one-trick pony, very selfish. Where an actual warrior to me is very well-rounded, very open, and very humble. Uh, and and bathed and clothed with humility to seek further assistance in becoming their best. But most importantly, their best is who are they when they're not on the objective? You know, and a lot of guys... Uh, they, they consider the warrior mindset to be like, who am I when I'm on the objective doing the mission? Like that's, if that's all you're worried about, dude, then you're just a ticking time bomb waiting to go off, you know, because you might be good on the job, but you're probably slacking in so many areas in your personal life. When you get that one phone call that says, Hey, I'm leaving you. And I have to go on a mission with you tonight. You think your head's going to be in the game? Or maybe your head's so in the game, now you're just aggressive and you're doing toxic things on the battlefield that are going to jeopardize the whole mission and lives. You know, so uh, to answer your question, I think TBI is way more common now, but with common things, right, become very 
checking the box. Hey, you're good to go. Very conveyor belt. So hopefully these guys and gals that listen to this and or potentially find themselves suffering from a traumatic brain injury realize that it's not about today, dude. It's that five-year gap yeah. before you pick up that next rank. Wait, you know, my first TBI being shot in the helmet at 18 years old, that didn't truly affect me until like five, six years later. And then all the other TBIs that happened before during that time frame, those things started stacking up like three, three to four years later. It all just adds up. It's all compounding. So it's not the one TBI that broke you. It's a series of TBIs that you didn't address that broke you. So hopefully people are smarter. But once again, that takes a lot of uh, self-assessment to, to one, stick up for yourself and two, ask for help. And a lot of guys suffer with asking for help. Yeah. Uh, therefore, they will continuously suffer with undiagnosed traumatic brain injury. And therefore, they will sedate themselves through drugs and alcohol, women, uh, dangerous acts uh, to basically neutralize that feeling of inadequacy or feeling of pain that they're having inside because we're really good at suppressing things. Yeah. Really good at it because we want to play. We want to be on the mission, right? We don't want to be on the bench. We don't want to be on timeout. And so uh, that's just a tough one, man. And But that's a society thing, dude. Yeah. That's, Very I mean, that's literally why it's, why I say defy the norm, bro. Like, listen, bro, this, yeah, you might be part of a team, but what happens when that team is gone? They're still you. Now, unless you want to be part of nothing, you need to do something about it. You, you're going to have to defy your old ways sooner or later. You're going to have to defy what society tells you, defy what the system tells you, uh, especially if it's not sitting well with you. If it's not acceptable to you, then you cannot accept those things and you must go seek further help and guidance to become your best self. Because if not, you're just a liability of life. And then you're not serving anybody. You're just literally waiting to explode. Absolutely. Um, so going on, obviously, you, you have your veteran startup. Now, how important do you think it is to have these uh, veteran startups, uh, such as Eagle and Angels, Black Rifle Coffee, um, obviously yourself? How important do you think that is for the veteran community? And I think veterans should all be entrepreneurs. Not every veteran will be a successful entrepreneur. Uh, but I, th I think veterans alone, they're, they're creative in some way. They went to the military for some form of outlet, uh, something bigger than themselves, some form of like, I want to prove something, some form of whatever, right? Per perfectionist you know, to, to, to mold them, to shape them, to give them discipline, it led them to the military. And if veterans would apply that same thing as a civilian, even a side hustle, dude, you know, even something just to have your own slice of the pie, uh, they'd be surprised what they can do. I, I have in my coaching group, I have a lot of veterans and I didn't even know they're veterans, you know, but they have all these ambitions. I'm like, dude, why aren't you doing it? Like you'll literally go dodge bullets but you won't Google how to start an LLC. You won't pay, you paid with your life, but you won't go pay money to hire a coach or mentor to show you how to do the thing that you want to do or to help you achieve it or to go to a course. You'll, you will deny, you, you will escape your family for three months to go to a course in the military but you won't take three months to take a course to better yourself. Like 
don't know. It just blows my mind. And I'm so tired of like, one, I'm so tired of like the, the, the veteran suicide shit. Like it's so yeah. annoying. And there's civilians that kill themselves every day. And the fucked up thing is no one cares about them. I mean, people do, but not the headline. It doesn't make for a catchy memorial bracelet. It doesn't make for a catchy GoFundMe, right? There's just Pete down the street. No one cares about Pete, but Jimmy, woo, Jimmy, he served his country. Mm. Let's stop everything for Jimmy. Like, I'm tired of that shit, dude. Go do something with your life or go find something that you like and go support that thing. You know, and they don't necessarily, veterans don't have to start their own thing, but they should be tied into the community somehow. They should be trying to make something better than what it is. And, but that, that takes a lot of humility and, and humbleness and just veterans at large just do not obtain that skill set. Because uh, nine times out of 10, and I'm willing to bet the money I've earned, most military people get out with some form of victimhood inside. They can still be successful, but there's some underlining root issue in them that's unresolved that they just suppress that no matter what they acquire in the outside world, their inside world is is complete hell. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. Uh, But that's also important to surround yourself with healthy, good people that are inspiring you to grow and to evolve vice toxic, same mentality, you know, that team, that team room shit where you're just talking crap. Everyone's just like, just testosterone's flowing, negativity's flying everywhere, and you're just hateful. You're hateful, you know, <laughs> and that's great. You know, that's really great when violence, acts of violence must be performed. Um, but what happens when the, the war drums stop? What do you do? You know, you have to find a new gear room. You have to find a new uh, team to associate with. And now you're on your own. You know, now you have, now you actually have a say in, from my experience, not a lot of guys wanted to be in charge. Definitely probably don't want to be in charge of their own lives. So it, it probably makes it very challenging. So I highly encourage any veteran to, if you got an idea, start it. If you like something that someone's doing, go apply for that job. Go support them because you have no idea what that traction, that, that environment you're associating with, is going to help you lead to uh, other things that are great in your life. And uh, But that just that just requires you to start. And most people just never start. And that's a shame. It's a true shame. So one of the uh, the veteran companies I just mentioned there was Eagles and Angels. Now, um, you met Tom when you uh, did your signature series hat, which is that one, the second one down, that's that's your hat. Now, how do you feel? Yeah, I think that's, so. that's the one. Um, how do you feel donating some of your uniform and knowing that people were buying those hats uh, to A, um, money was going to charity and B, they were buying it because it was your uniform. How did that make you feel? Whew. It was hard. It was, I held onto a lot of my military stuff and that was like my only combat pants. And to get rid of them, I'm like, you know what? These can sit in the drawer and do nothing. I can wear them to try to feel cool or that hat might save someone's life. That hat might ins- might inspire someone to, I don't know, be their best, whatever that is to them. And, you know, and this, and, and Tom has this vision to like share these stories and the, and, and live these legacies on not of like, Oh, people are badass, but legacy of like, man, faces of adversity and they rose up, 
you can too, civilian or military, it doesn't matter. And to me, that was more important to, to know when those hats sold out. I was just like, I wish I had more clothes, one, to be able to donate more money. Uh, so one, Tom could, to, could make money. And then two, the donations he could share would, would be more substantial. Um, but it was really, really cool, man. He actually hit me up a few years back. He's like, Hey man, you want to do a hat? And I was definitely in my head, uh, but I also lived in the van too. So I didn't have any of my gear. My gear was in storage. I'm like, Hey man, I love the van. My gear's in storage. Uh, maybe when I stop and he hit me up again, especially when I got off the, the Sean Ryan show. And uh, he's like, Hey dude, you want to do this? I see that you're stationary now. I'm like, let's do it, man. And it was, it was awesome, dude. It's awesome to be a part of a generation that can inspire people because I know there's a lot of social media, you know, it's toxic and it's a lot of fake shit. Um, and there's a lot of young men and women that want to go to the service because they see some fake shit posted or some lies shared and they're like, oh, I got to be badass and awesome like that. And uh, I like to dispel all those things as much as I possibly can because you can support the military and still be a badass and never having to go to the military. And a lot of these young generation that I know specifically bought these hats. They, they, some of them even told me stories like Cody, I, I wanted to join, but I had asthma. I wanted to join, but I couldn't get a waiver. I'm like, that's okay, man. I think you're still awesome, bro. You know, the military is not for everyone. And what's, what's kind of unfortunate for viewers is that there's a lot of great people that come from the military because they were put in very peculiar like situations and were able to do great things whether it was on or off the battlefield and unfortunately people think that to be awesome or to be famous or to be badass you have to be tested on the battlefield and uh that's also simply not true uh that's probably one of the biggest lies told out there the battlefield has given men and women at that place and time in their life an opportunity to grow. And that's simply it. You know, the true badass thing to do is to share that with people. Uh, because if you're a real badass, if you're a real patriot, you don't want people to go to war. You don't want people to have to endure the things that you did, whether you willingly did or did not willingly participate. Um, but we have it kind of backwards because society, especially first world country, operates solely off the ego. How do I look? What's the perception of me? You know, if I earn, if I make this much money, people think I'm cool. If I wear these clothes, people think I'm cool. And at no time are there is like, how will I feel if I do this? Will this fill my cup? Will this make me feel satisfied? Will this make me feel proud, of, be proud of myself? And a lot of, seeing a lot of these people that purchase these hats and looking at all the hats you have purchased, man, like it's fucking humbling <laughs> to, to know that that's just a small token of one, those people support, but what that hat means to them. And it means something to someone in completely different ways. And I, I find it, I'm just, I'm, I'm stoked, dude. You asked me, how's me feel? It makes me feel fucking awesome, bro. It makes me feel awesome that all those times I didn't quit on myself led to a fucking hat that someone able to have on their wall and just remind them to, to be better. You know, whatever this hat reminds them to do, I'm glad it reminds them something positive. Um, and I'm glad I was able to share that. I mean, dude, these these pants, bro, literally the only pair of pants I had, these are my Afghanistan uh, cry pants. The only pair of pants I had, I never, I washed them like maybe, maybe once on deployment. <laughs> 
I only had one and we were doing ops. So like, I couldn't have my pants like not on me. Uh, so it was, uh, there was actually a couple times I wore desert digital. So I was able to like do a laundry day then, but, uh, I was wearing the same pants. So those pants meant a lot to me. Um, you know, not just the war or the memory of it, but like the men I got to serve with and, uh, the lessons I got to learn from them. And most importantly, the fact that I, I was able to, to serve them, uh, that's, that's what this hat reminds me of. So I, I'm very humbled and grateful that I'm going to have this with me for the rest of my life and that people are going to be able to have that reminder with them too. And it's, it's powerful, dude. Um, I, I was very lucky enough because I, um, I got in touch with Tom and he does uh, custom orders as well. So uh, this is actually my uniform in my hat. And uh, he did me he, he did me five because obviously I'm not as uh, renowned as what you or Eddie Penny or uh, any of the other marvelous uh, veterans that he's had into the shop. But yeah, I've I've had five of my own done, which it was strange cutting up some of my uniform. It was the weirdest feeling. But when I got the hats back, it was an incredibly humbling feeling. And I I gave one to my dad who's in his late seventies. Uh, I presented it to him and I've only ever seen him cry when the dog died and he was millimeters away from crying. So I knew that was a very special moment for him, for me to uh, pass a hat to him. Um, it was, it was a super special moment. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, if, if Tom's listening to this, I just want to say thank you very much to Tom. Um, so let's look at some advice then. What, what could you give uh, advice wise to somebody who's, currently serving and they're they're looking at coming out of the military within the next few months what would be your advice to them well my advice to anyone who's serving with you know three three to five years from getting out of the military uh get checked get taken care of uh you know some of my treatments took me three to four months uh, some of my waiting lists took me three or four months, you know, that's, that's seven, eight months right there, yeah. you know? So if you're waiting to two months before you get out of the military, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, it's your duty as a service member to come back into your community at your best condition possible. Now, is that possibly going to happen? No, but you can do the most work as you possibly can. Cause when you're active duty, your top priority. You have top of the food chain, frontline uh, permissions than you do as, as a retiree or a civilian. So you are an absolute idiot if you do not take advantage of that stuff to get better. Why wouldn't you want to be the best husband, wife, man, woman, any of those things when you get out? Why wouldn't you want your knee to stop hurting? Why wouldn't you want to get your falling off toenails looked at? Why wouldn't you want to get your grinding of your teeth checked out? And, but that's hard for people because number one thing that most military people do, they're like, I'm going to go get a government contract job when I get out because they're going to pay a lot of money. <laughs> really? It's true. It's very true. I'm like, really? You hated the military. You were fed up with it towards the end of your career. And you're going to go work with the same people that you did not like active duty for money. That is the epitome of a victim mindset, not knowing you have the power and not saying if you go work a contract job or government job or, you know, whatever GS job, that you're a victim, not saying that at all. But if your intentions 
are that you're like, I'm going to go subject myself to being around people I don't like doing a thing I really don't want to do, but I just want the money. You're a powerless person. And so before you get out of the military, ask yourself, what do you really want to do? And if the answer is to do that, more power to you. But if that's like your plan B to don't know, that's not the right answer. You're, you're going to be more toxic. You're going to get put into more situations that you're probably not going to be super stoked on. And for what? But I would say the best thing you could do when transitioning out is give yourself some time. Dude, what is 90 days? What is 90 days? Nothing. You know, one of the biggest things that I saw in the military from guys in my old unit, you know, they were working a contract job for my for MARSOC before they're ever getting their, their paperwork saying they're fully retired. I'm like, dude. You literally just complained the whole time about how the command and the climate and the toxicity and all this other shit, and you're you're here. The same people who gave you shit for going to the brain clinic, you're working for them again, willingly. And to top it off, they're smiling at you now. They're nice to you now. What? So they treat you like shit when they underpay you, but they treat you nicer when they pay you more and they don't care what you do, that just goes to show you that you don't live in a real world, bro. Why are they treating you any differently? And why are you treating yourself this way? And if people would just give themselves 30, 60, 90 days just to do them, do nothing, ask themselves, who am I? What do I want to be when I grow up? And if you don't know the answer, that's, that's awesome too. But give yourself time, man. Like getting out of the military, whether you had a great career. I had a great career, man. I got no complaints. I have a lot of lessons learned, but I had I not butthurt about any of it. Even my bad times were awesome because I learned something from them. But I gave myself time to, I didn't even know who I was as a person. You know, even when I, I took one job as a civilian, one year later after being out of the military, it was my first job, my first and only job as a civilian. It lasted like four months. It was not for me, dude. It wasn't for me. And I definitely know being as toxic as I was when I got out, there's no way I was able to do a job when I first got out. So my advice for anyone that's close to getting out of the military, do your best to get all your stuff, one, documented, but most importantly, get taken care of. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, if it's not right with you, if it's hurting, if you say, hey, it's not a big deal, why wouldn't you get that shit checked out? True. Wealth is health. And no matter how much money the government job brings you, no matter how many kids you fucking have, no matter how many great things come into your life, if you are not healthy, you will not be here to experience those things. It's the five-year plan, right? You got to wait five years to the next rank. Okay, well, live your life in these five-year seasons and know that you're going to have a lot of five-year seasons if you're fortunate enough in your life. So don't think so short-term. Secondly, Take time. If you don't have the money, if you're living fucking just stressed out with debt, sell all your shit before you get out. Sacrifice. Let go of the comfort. Because if it's so comfortable, why are you stressed out? So get rid of that stuff. Downsize your life and just live simple. Just live simple for 30, 60, 90 days. See what it feels like to have no stress in your life. Because if you add more stress to your life, what do you think is going to happen? You're eventually going to shut down. How do I know this? I've been out four and a half years now. 
my phone is constantly blowing up from people in the military that I know, their friends or old acquaintances, and they're going through the ringer right now. I'm like, what did you expect? You got out from a high-stress job. You went right into another high-stress job, whether that's a contracting job or a civilian contracting job, right, where you're just a, you're a contracting employee uh, to a job that you just went there for money. Like, you're just adding more stress. You're a hard hitter, so you're going to work hard. Therefore, you're sacrificing more of your life, more of your family. And then when all that crumbles away, because you have a choice, but you're doing, you're literally doing nothing different, what did you expect was going to happen? And the third thing I would say is if it triggers you, investigate it. If you see a civilian or someone who's a, a, in the military like me, I know I trigger people, bro. That is like my gift from God is God's like, bro, I'm anointing you to be the trigger king. And I am the trigger king, dude. Uh, I know this. And it's one of my ultimate superpowers, dude. I love triggering people. However, triggering has absolutely transformed my life. One of my mentors, he triggered me and he literally transformed my entire life uh, because he called me out and he triggered the shit out of me. Well, if you have triggers on your journey, investigate them. Why does, why do I make you mad? Because I'm talking open? Because I'm saying things that you want to say, but you're too afraid to? Because I'm addressing things that you know you should actually address? Is that why I'm triggering you? Because a lot of people triggered me when I got out. And I'm like, man, screw that person. Why is he successful? Screw him. That person sucked mm-hmm. in the military. Man, screw that person. They never served. I'm a veteran. F them. All that was doing was pointing right back at me. And it just showed me all the things I needed to address within myself so I could have a conversation with you today, Dan, and not be a toxic nuclear bomb. <laughs> So get your shit fixed, take time and do the work, heal yourself because you're not going to die tomorrow. If you're lucky enough, you're not going to die tomorrow. So make the investments today. So when you do pick up the next rank, the next level up in life, you're able to receive and perform your duties at that appropriate level. And then guess what? Repeat this process and keep on going and keep on doing it. And then you die and you'll be pumped. You'll be pumped that you didn't cheat yourself. That sounds some good advice. That's, I really like that. Uh, right, so the last question is a two-part question. One's looking forward, one's looking back. So looking forward, what does the next five years look like for you on your vision board? And looking back, what piece of advice would you sat here now take back to 18-year-old Cody, and what would you tell him? Man. Mm. That's a good question. My next five years. My next five years will never come if I don't focus on today. Uh, that That's just a fact. And that's literally the season of life that I'm in. I want to think about the next five years, but I'm like, bro, are my actions today aligned with my five-year goal? And I'm, I'm currently in this process of re-identifying, reprocessing, and re organizing literally everything in my life because i realized quite recently that i've been playing small i thought i was doing really well i thought i was going all in but i realized that i wasn't i was going all into areas that really didn't enhance my family or my values and my mission in life and so but where do i see myself in the next five years 
I see myself the next five years, dude, literally when I say this, it's, it's funny because people have told me this and they said, bro, you're going to be a household name in the next five years. And I'm like, you know what? I want that. I want to be in everyone's mind in the next five years because I want to be able to inspire people to absolutely transform their life. And I want them like, man, you know, that one guy I keep on seeing on social media, man, I'm going to, I'm going to do what he's doing. Man, if he can do it, I can do it. I want to be that person that people can look at and be like, bro, I can change my life too. Because there's there's a lot of people out there that still don't know that they can do that. But it looks like work, right? And I'm still doing the work. I'm not there. I am not haven't made it yet. All these goals and dreams of mine, they're coming, dude. All these materialistic things that I want to acquire in my life, you know, real estate investor, my my rally Porsche, all these all these ninja things that I want to, to accomplish and acquire in my life, they're already coming toward to me. They're already coming to me. But where I will fail that mission, if I don't become the person to receive those things, to experience those things. So if I want to become a household name in five years, I have to make sure I'm doing the work today. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm dedicating, you know, I have big goals, big dreams, plans for this year, but more important than those plans and dreams, I have, big goals and dreams for myself, my own personal development. And I know now more than any time in my life, the areas that I am giving away energy to and not put energy towards. And so that's where I'm at. So my next five years determines today. Uh, I could tell you my goals and dreams, but I think a lot of people do that shit. Yeah. But one is I'll be, I will be a household name in five years. Uh, but that, start, that started multiple days ago, uh, but that, that applies to my actions today. Um, what would I tell my 18 year old self? Yeah. That's your part B. Yeah. Don't forget what it's like to dream. You know, there's a big part of my life. 18, I dream, dude, I, I would daydream all the time. And I asked myself, when the hell did I stop daydreaming? When did I stop being creative? You know, I used to draw on the computer all the time. I used to paint and just doodle and draw and all this stuff all the time. And I'm like, when did you become too busy? To make yourself happy. And so my, the thing I would tell my 18 year old self is to honor that and to protect it at all costs. And remember that the things that make me happy are worth fighting for. Um, because I can definitely sacrifice the, I will sacrifice the happiness to, to do dumb shit, to do things that I think I should be doing. When, if I would just make sure my cup is full and that I'm feeding my soul and I'm making myself truly happy as Cody Alford, then all great things will come to me. But when I do it the opposite way around, they won't. And that's what I would tell myself because my 18 year old self knew it. My 37 year old self has struggled with that. So I would tell myself to remind my shit, my, remind myself daily, you know, laminate it, put it in a wallet, you know, uh, screen. Well, there was no screenshots back then, but like put it somewhere and frame it up to remind myself to never forget what it's like to dream big. Uh, and to make myself happy. So, and that's what I'm doing now currently in my life, dude. Like I'm just cutting out the fat. I'm getting more specific and clear. I'm like, man, I got to have my shit figured out. People are looking up to me. I, I have the social media following now. I have speaking engagements happen. I got to be perfect. I got to, I got to be the perfectionist. I'm like, man, you know, fuck that. Just say me. I'm growing, dude. This is all new levels to me. And I realized that if I don't grow, I'm dying. So that's kind of where I'm at today, man. I am just um, 
I'm taking it day at a time, dude. And I'm putting the work in the areas that I know that I must. And I'm grateful to even be in a place consciously to even comprehend that. Thank you very much for that. Um, I, I have no doubt that within five years, you'll be a household name. And I would say you're, you are well on the road to being there from uh, looking at your Instagram posts and the inspiration and the motivation that you put across to people. It comes across very genuine it's it's very honest and it's it's very enlightening i know it's it's certainly grabbed my attention um so i from the bottom of my heart thank you for what you're doing thanks brother i appreciate you dude and thanks for <laughs> thanks for dealing with my timeline too we have gone back and forth to everyone listening to this we have gone <laughs> back and forth dan has sent me up multiple times i'm just like oh god emails no i don't want to do them i'm like hey i can do it to this day i can't do this day and i'm i'm glad we know this day i know you got some some stuff coming up this upcoming mm-hmm. weekend I'm glad you were able to carve out time for me, man. I'm really appreciative of you. No, I'm, I'm appreciative to you for, for coming on. It does mean a lot to me. So thank you very much indeed. I hope you've enjoyed your time. Uh, I know I've enjoyed my time speaking to you. And I'm sure we've uh, we've probably helped quite a few people who have watched and listened to this. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you, dude.